Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're two best friends entering the world of true crime. We'll be sharing the stories of some of the worst and wildest true crime cases in history. And we're taking you along for the ride. In this episode, we're looking at the sadistic and violent crimes that are things of nightmares. Is David Parker Ray, the toy box killer. It's been an awfully long time. But we're back. We're back. I hope you missed us, everybody. I missed you. I did. And you, and you, and you. Everyone. Every single one. It's been like three months, four That's months. More than that. Oh, yeah. gosh. When did we last record? A while ago. I think the last episode went out at the end of November. Oh, and shit balls. since then, shit has gone down. Shit has gone down. My God. So much has happened. <laughs> <laughs> I had a baby. She's great. Nice little thing. It's Popped ba- out. Little cut out of you. Yeah, she like came through the, from Alien. Came through the sunroof. Oh. <laughs> little baby Sylvie. Wee baby Sylvie. I saw the video of her being pulled out of your belly. Yeah. You and your husband were very proud of that video. Like, look at Sylvie being, like, pulled yeah. <laughs> from my stomach. So never has a baby been born with such fury. <laughs> like, she was so angry to be pulled. Like, basically, they pulled her head out. Her body was still inside of me. And she was just like... Fuck off! (laughs) She was so angry to be born. She absolutely was not. She just was not into it. She screamed pure bloody fury for about 45 minutes. And I was like, no, put it back in. Think about this, right? You are in a warm cocoon surrounded by fluid, which is warm. Really sugary fluid because I was diabetic. (laughs) (laughs) And you're you're in a nice ball and you're warm and and, and nothing in the world matters. And all you can hear is just the mumble from, from outside and just, ah, and you're asleep. And then all of a sudden, someone out of nowhere, a hand just pulls you out, awake. Yeah. Expects you to just, Give all that up. Yeah. Fuck that. It's not the one, is it? No. It's like it's like being told you have to come home from your all-inclusive holiday early, I would say. Well, I could talk for hours about having a baby, and I see why parenting podcasts are a thing. Yeah. I listen to some now as well, because I'm that person. I could talk about her, for, she's a joy. Mm-hmm. I could talk about her for hours. I won't, because I don't want to be that guy, and that's not what we're here for. <laughs> You've also undergone some life changes. Yeah, I'm a single lady now. Single lady, single lady, single lady. And I am in my 30s and flirty and I'm thriving. (laughs) I love it. I love it for you. I love it for me. Why you? Because I get to live vicariously through you and your dating. I've been married for like five years and Mm -hmm. we've been together for like 12 years. I've seen the same man 12 years, ages. So like I just get to pretend that I'm living a different dream. Because I do love being married. But yeah you know dating sounds fun it's cool it's like i just really like my space well you can't enjoy your space too much why because i've moved around the corner from helen (laughs) (laughs) that's also happened she's moved an eight minute walk away which is great if i go on google maps we basically we're in the same screen yeah you don't even have to like zoom if we shared locations we'd be like wow 
yeah, you can see it. it's, it's you don't brilliant. even really have to zoom out. You no, see it. It's just right there. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. So I'm enjoying my me time, being on my own, living my life, all that shit. But then also every now and then there's a fucking knock at my door like, hello, but wine. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, come in. <laughs> I was at, I was, last night I was going to be like, hell on, I'm making chilli. <laughs> but then I didn't make chilli. Oh. <laughs> I just had toast. Can't wait till you start cooking more. Yeah, okay. I need to unpack the kitchen though. That's yeah. the thing. Well, I'm, I'll come over and I'll do it for you. Yeah, all right, and cheers. your makeup bag. Not because you need to wear it, because I'm just like... Because you look like goddamn shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right, hell on, cheers. <laughs> We have been dying to get back in the studio. If you follow us on socials, and I say socials, it's just Instagram. But if you follow us on Instagram, you'll have seen that there was a bit of a bump in the road. A wee bump. Which delayed us. I'd getting... say a bump and a pothole. Yeah, like a crater. Yeah. <laughs> that stopped us from... <laughs> and a flood. <laughs> Apocalyptic event. World ending event. Yeah, that delayed us getting back in the studio. We originally were produced by the lovely folks at Audio Boom, who we've thanked at the end of each episode. We are still part of the Audio Boom Creator Network, but we are flying solo. We are producing ourselves. Basically, producer Alex is no longer with us anymore, and we're very sad about it. But we're also we just have to we have to be strong. We okay? have to be strong. We will miss her terribly, and I'm sure that in a way she'll miss us. She will. She told me the other day on Instagram DM. <laughs> she won't miss hearing me snotty. Oh yeah, I've got, I've got. I've still got to endure this. Oh, sorry, <laughs> just I just constantly <laughs> like. My sinuses, man. They're just clogged. I wish you could get... Do you reckon there's a treatment which is like a colonic for your nostrils? Yeah, that's actually a thing. But surely you drown? No, because there's a thing where you put like saline up ah, one nostril yeah, and then yeah. it's supposed to like come out the other nostril. Yeah, I know, but that's like at home shit. If you could go to a clinic and be just like put some tubes up there and just fire flush it, it out there, yeah. Get a pressure washer in there. Right, if anybody knows how to do that, I'd take it. Because I think that would be really great. It's not nice being congested, is it? And it's a coming to allergy season. It is. Oh, yeah. Lot of trees by my house. Oh, yes. Lovely where we live, isn't it? Lots of grass. Yeah, but fucking allergens everywhere. What I did want to say was we're very excited to be back. And obviously there was the delay, but it's back and it's fine now. And we live close together. So we got together last week and did our plan. And we had a lovely planning session. And I then realised the reason it takes so long for us to do stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's because we sit there doing shit squeaks impression. (laughs) Yeah. We got, okay, okay, we've got our episode list. Let's make a plan. Let's get schedule some recording dates in. And Helen grabs her iPad and I'm like, cool. And I'm like, (laughs) Helen, do you want to book the studio for for next Friday? She's like, oh, don't ask me to do that now because I'm drawing Pedro Pascal's (laughs) moustache. Yep, you heard that right. Uh, Mustache. I tell you what it is. It's when you start drawing hair strokes, man. That is some meditative shit. Like you getting. It was to be fair. It was in a trance. It was nice to watch, but just five minutes later. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but then I'm just as bad because I've started talking like Moira Rose incessantly. You have. You have. I, I love it though. I really want her to start her own TikTok where she talks to her baby as Moira because Sylvie loves it. She does. Every I'm, time you send me a video and you start talking to her like it, she's got this smile on her face and it's just so adorable. You could eat her. What a darling baby. <laughs> But I can't, I can't. Basically, we just get really distracted very easily. Yes. Probably can tell. Um, yes, yes, yes. 
Yeah. So the neurodivergent in me. And now we don't have a producer to be like, girls, this is great, but you've Can been chatting on? about cranes for half an hour. Yeah, oh God. <laughs> this is a fucking horrible story. So this is one, if you're feeling a bit fragile, there's sexual violence involved in this one as well. So if it's not your thing, listener discretion is advised, I think. You can find some other lighter episodes. Yeah, they're not, not light. None of them are particularly light. Yes, this is particularly awful. I'm just going to say that. It might not be for everybody no, today. No, okay. definitely not. It's March 19th, 1999, in the city of Albuquerque, New Mexico. 22-year-old Cynthia Vigil, a sex worker, is walking the streets when a car pulls up and a man claiming to be an undercover cop tries to arrest her for solicitation of sex work. She, at first, tries to make a run for it, but he soon catches up and puts her in the back of his car. The man takes her back to his trailer, to which she spends three days being tortured, raped and violently violated she is one of hundreds of victims that has had to endure this horrifying ordeal. After carelessly leaving the keys to her chains close by, she unlocks herself and calls 911. She is caught out by a female accomplice and fights for her life, fleeing the scene and crying for her life to a nearby family, naked, chained and with a metal collar. The police are called and are in disbelief that a small town in New Mexico could even be the home to one of the most vile, violent and twisted men and his accomplices and their trailer of torture the toy box. This is where David Parker's sadistic reign came to an end. So let's go back to the beginning. David Parker Ray was born in Belen, New Mexico in 1939. His father Cecil was a violent and abusive alcoholic who eventually left the family when David was 10 years old. His mother Nettie could not deal with the stress of raising the children alone and so one day dropped them off at their paternal grandparents and moved back to her own family, rarely ever making an appearance in David's life again. David's grandfather raised them in an oppressive and strict Christian environment, and any misbehaviour of any kind would be met with violent beatings. The entirety of David's upbringing was surrounded by violence and abuse, whether it was from his father, being disposed of by his parents, to then living in an incredibly strict environment with his grandparents. He was held at standards he could never meet and then he was bullied and tormented at school. So it's safe to say that he had a pretty rough upbringing and didn't really catch a break. We've heard this so many times, haven't we? Yeah. And just like the failure of parents and the oppressive. Yeah. And strict discipline. For yeah. Like unnecessary things. I was thinking about this the other night while I was looking at Sylvie and thinking she is just so pure mm -hmm. and like babies and children young children are just so pure there's no malicious intent it's not possible their brains haven't developed enough for there to be any kind of malicious intent or like you know evil there's no room for it yet I know you know like certain conditions are sort of down to the way the brain develops it's so much nurture like you mm -hmm. have to nurture evil yeah definitely it's scary and it's if frightening you're, if you're exposed to it from like such a young age like from the beginning and these people are doing it by accident yeah. Well, kind of. They didn't realise how impressionable actions are on children. Yeah, I mean, nobody's doing that. Well, I hope that nobody sets out to be like, I'm going to make my child a No, of course killer. not. But they don't realise, they don't have that capacity to realise that their actions are having an effect on their children. Yeah, like they which is mad. I know. It's just... Because you pick up on things all the time. I'm constantly thinking about like, oh, I just picked my nose. Is she going to pick her nose now? Do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Sorry, that was a tangent. 
We hear it all the time, don't we? Like this yeah. rough upbringing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah. prevalent in it's most mad. of the cases that mad. we see. It's yeah, it's just, but it just shows how important an upbringing is. Anyway, he spent most of his time alone with no one to talk to. And this incredibly unsettling and violent start to life had a profound effect on him and his development, which he evidently steered him in a sinister direction later on in life. When David was 13, his sister Peggy found explicit images hidden in his room. He had an interest in violence, bondage and sadomasochistic pornography. At 13? At 13. Whoa, that's a lot. When was this? Well, he was born in 1939, so this would have been the 50s. Early Where do 50s. you even find that? Because that's got to be printed. His father exposed him to that through magazines. So he, so he people are making of... these magazines in the 50s? Yeah. What? I know. This you... kind of stuff, though, was going on for a very, very, very long time. I just find it weird. Like, it you can't weird. be gay. Like, you know, being gay is being... No, I way. know, but this but is like, also hidden. This is like the underbelly of like... Where do you find it? Where do they get these? There's lots of things in the world that are hidden and otherworldly, as it were. Like, you just don't see it every day. But like now with the internet, like if you want to find something, you find it. Well, yeah, but yeah. this is also the 50s. So yeah, I know, that's exactly. Why, that's, that's what why I mean. But that's why it's so like, oh, because... 13. Yeah. And he's looking at this pornography, which is quite extreme, I would say. Damaging, I would say. Yeah. Very damaging. After completing high school, Ray received an honourable discharge from the United States Army, where his service included work as a general mechanic. So that was his skill set was as a mechanic. So he's handsy. Handsy guy. David married two times and he met his third wife at age 27, 18-year-old Glenda Burdine in 1966. And they had a daughter together, Glenda Jean Ray, all known as Jessie Ray. So Jesse Ray is quite an important person in this case. And that's his daughter. That's his daughter. So with his third wife. With his third wife, yeah. We don't know that a lot happened between his teenage years and to this point. It is suggested that he did get up to some bad things. He's been naughty. He boasted quite a lot about killing people. When he was a young boy, I think the first time was when he was 14 years old, but there was obviously no evidence, so he couldn't be, you know, found for anything, but he had dark intent and interests from a young age. So he was going around telling people he killed people? Only his closest friends, who later on obviously spoke up about it. Right. Yeah. But he's married, he's been married two times now, he's on his third wife, he's had their daughter, Jessie Ray. Three years after the marriage, he left his wife, Glenda, and Jessie to join the hippie movement. During this time of hitchhiking and living free, he met a woman named Sally, who soon became his girlfriend. They stayed at a friend's trailer park for some time, but after taking her virginity, resulting in her pregnancy, Sally and all of her possessions mysteriously went missing, and when asked where she had gone, he replied, Sally was a free spirit. Oh. Yeah. You can see where this is going. I don't want to. Mm. After two more failed marriages, and now the 1980s, David moved to Elephant Butte, New Mexico, a small town of 1,300 people, where he would take up residency at 513 Bass Road. It was a typical small town. Not a lot happened. Like, non-eventful. There was, like, no crime. People had, like, low-income wages. It was just a very, very sleepy town. So it was the perfect spot to create the setting to what would be the most vile and evil torture chamber, I'd say, in history. (laughs) So he spent the 80s getting more and more fixated into the world of bondage and violence. And when I say that, 
I mean, he was really obsessed with the idea of sadism and sexual violence to the point where he would then kidnap, torture and rape girls and then sell them into slavery in Mexico, which was just a two hour drive away. This was also alongside just doing a regular job. So this was his just fucked up way of getting what he wanted. So by day he was working. Yeah. What was he doing? He's a mechanic. So by day he was working as a mechanic and by night he was destroying people. Yeah. Okay. Basically. But he wasn't killing them. No, not all the time. Not all the time. This is all very like, I can't give you full, like definite facts because we don't know. Right. I'm yeah. guessing, okay, we're going to get okay. to that bit. I'm sorry. Right. No, we actually don't know. We don't know. Okay. No one knows. No, I'm, I'm going to get to that part of <laughs> yeah. the story. Yeah, right. So anyway, so that was what he got up to, living in this small town, doing horrific things. God. Yeah. And nobody knows. Is nobody just, knows. Because, okay. But no one would suspect it because he was such a normal guy, which is, you know, the usual nice guy in a small, yeah. sleepy town. I guess that's where this trope comes from. Like yeah. this story trope. We see the story arc so often in like fiction. Yeah. And I just always forget that it comes from facts. <sighs> yeah. It starts to get a bit more messed up. So his daughter, Jessie, right, she's always been a huge fan of her dad. Don't know why, because he left, but... She's always been a huge fan of her dad. And though she rarely saw him as he was growing up because he was working a lot on various different mechanic jobs, but from an early age was exposed to his sadomasochism tendencies and even herself grew an interest in it. I mean, how was she even exposed to that by like, it's just all so messy. Yeah, right. However, she realised her father's problematic ways And that it was being taken too far as at the age of 19 became uncomfortable as she witnessed a woman partaking in a bondage torture session, screaming for her life and fleeing the house naked in terror. Oh, God. So this resulted in Jessie making a complaint to the FBI where she told them all about her father's kidnapping, torturing and selling of women into sex slavery. Just like, what the fuck? You know, like, but... Uh, first what the fuck of the episode of the series yeah she just casually like oh by the way fbi my dad kidnaps tortures rapes women and then sells them into mexico he's been doing it for a while Mm -hmm. um, but i've only just now decided it's bad yeah there's a certain amount of okay well if she was exposed to this from a young age it would take her a while to realize that this isn't normal behavior and this isn't normal or acceptable you know ways to treat people but 19? Yeah. I know. Like, that's pretty far along. At what point do you decide she's a little bit of an accomplice? She's a victim, but she's... A, oh, okay. No. Uh, 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 uh. I feel like Tina from Bob's Burgers right now. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> you know, though, this is the point where you will probably actually get even more ragey because, oh. because it could have stopped right here, but it didn't. Fuck. So David was brought into questioning and openly told them about his penchant for bondage and sexual habits and his urges that could only be set aside with violence, torture and murder. He told them this. He murder? Them, he, yeah, used, he, he used the word murder. He told the, the FBI, oh, right? Okay. But as there was no crime or evidence to pin on to him, even after a very close confession, they released him. Right. So this is the thing. is Anybody could literally go anywhere and be like, I'm a murderer. 
Yeah. And some people, that is a thing, isn't it? Some people like to do that because they like the attention. Like there'll be, when there is a prolific killing with no conviction, mm-hmm. people will come out of the woodwork and be like, I did it. Because mm-hmm. they get off on the attention. Mm-hmm. So I kind of understand, okay, well, there's no crime. Yeah. But like, put him on a watch list or something. Exactly. Yeah. You would be slightly concerned. I think also if it wasn't, it's not unbased, like somebody's come and said, and all they would have to do is talk to some other people, mm-hmm. talk to the lady who f- ran away. Mm-hmm. How do you find her? She's not going to want to have anything to do with him. She's probably, no. she's run for the hills. Yeah. If that was me. And also the time. So yeah. the 80s, right? We've had this before, haven't we? There's probably, is small town America. There's not going to be centralised fingerprinting. There's not going to no. be centralised evidence databases yet. No. So... We take a turn. So Jesse obviously tried to do what was right, but after no luck with the FBI, had a miraculous turn and decided to fully embrace the life of her father. No! To which he held no secrets from her. No! Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Now no. This, she just gave up on the law and decided to fully embrace it. How does the brain work? Because what? Huh. Okay. Huh. Their relationship was quite questionable, to be honest, because obviously it took a turn and they became closer. She got more involved and she actually had a child, which it is kind of unsure whether it is the father is her biological father. Okay. Okay. Just casual incest. But again, that was kind of, that's not a fact. So I just put it in there for context, but just so you knew the kind of closeness of their relationship, but it's not ever been, you know. It's not been confirmed, but it has been implied. Yes. Interesting. Right. But this is where it gets real nasty. So I would. would, Oh, good. It starts. Yeah, it gets gets a lot worse. So I am just going to say it gets really fucking horrible now. So please just put a seatbelt on or if you think. (laughs) Actually, I can't bear any more of this. Don't listen, because it's just going to get worse. I was just about to say, I feel like I need to put a seatbelt on. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like I need to put, I might zip up my coat. I'm going to add, I'm going to do up an extra button on my shirt. Go on then, do it. After getting away with years of torture, after narrowly missing the FBI, David decided to put his mechanical skills to use and take his sadistic tendencies to a new level. He purchased a 22-foot-long trailer, and got to work on creating the ultimate torture chamber, which he liked to call the toy box. He hung up a handmade sign that read Satan's Den inside, and it is said that over the years invested $100,000 into it. Bloody hell, he must have been a good mechanic. It was escape-proof and soundproof, and it had a fucking big lock on the door. Let's put it that way. The walls and ceilings were completely covered in unimaginable tools of torture whips hooks chains pulleys scalpels padlocks medical tools and chemicals there was a coffin with ventilation holes to restrain his victims so many sex toys of huge proportions some that he'd even modified himself with spikes on just a grotesque amount and just quite extreme like oh my god that sounds like something out of a film the worst of it all, I would say, in context of this case, was a gynecology table. No. He had modified this to restrain his victims and to also be able to position them however he saw fit. And it was wired to electrical probes, which were powered by a generator in which he could use to shock his victims. 
Are you listening? I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. Oh, I, I am. I'm not. Okay, well, can you listen? No, I am listening, but oh. I don't want to hear it. Oh, right, okay, right, okay. I'm sorry, I was just looking to see if I could see it. There are pictures, but wait, wait. Oh, okay, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not finished. I know, I'm sorry, I just get to it, in, like, interested. Yeah, okay. But also not. <sighs> yeah. I'm distressed. <laughs> If it couldn't get any worse, no. he had also positioned video cameras and monitors so his victims had no choice but also witness the horrific acts which were being inflicted onto them. So they were watching what was happening? Yeah. Oh my God. It is said that he recorded every single victim and he would sell the footage to the darkest depths of the bondage world in which he would receive considerable payments for the most gruesome and sadistic videos. Good God. Yeah. David's victims were usually sex workers or women that he met in bars that were picked up or kidnapped, then taken back to his house where they were tied to the bed and tortured for days, experiencing excruciating pain, to which then he would take them to his toy box where it would become a whole lot worse. No. This is what I mean by this is something of nightmares, right? They would then be made to endure being strapped to the gynecology table and then witness him as he chose what tools he would use on them. This included the sex toys that you would probably consider quite extreme. You know, he'd made his modifications to inflict pain. Before his reign of torture began, he would play them the tape. I'm going to play you a little bit of it because it's actually, it's quite long. The following is for educational purposes only. This is a re-recording of the audio tape that the toy box killers David Parker Ray and Cindy Hindi would play for their victims. It contains vile language and mature topics, including detailed talks of sexual assault and bestiality. We do not recommend listening to this if you are under the age of 18, a victim of assault, or easily triggered or offended. Hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable right now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained, gagged, probably blindfolded. You are disoriented and scared too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while at least, you need to get your shit together and listen to this tape. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you have been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you, and how long you'll be here. I don't know the details of your capture because this tape is being created July 23rd, 1993 as a general advisory tape for all future female captives. The information I'm going to give you is based on my experience dealing with captives over a period of several years. If at a future date there are any major changes in our procedures, the tape will be upgraded. Now you are obviously here against your will, totally helpless, you don't know where you're at, don't know what's going to happen to you. You're very scared or very pissed off. I'm sure that you've already tried to get your wrists and ankles loose, and no you can't. Now you're just waiting to see what's going to happen next. You probably think you're going to be raped, and you're fucking sure right about that. Our primary interest is what you've got between your legs. You'll be raped thoroughly, and repeatedly, in every hole you've got. Because basically, you've been snatched and brought here for us to train and use you as a sex slave. So I'll stop it there, so you can get the gist. 
I want to cry. Yeah. I looked through the transcript and I was listed. I just, I felt so sick because I text you. Did I text you last night saying this is horrible? I, I just need a moment. What the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck? It's, it's incredible. I told what you. the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck? There is so much to unpick. It's almost like a business transaction. If in the future this become, we'll upgrade the tape. You're just doing this so often you can't even be bothered to tell the person in front of this you. This is exactly what the point of the tape was, though, because he was doing it so often he didn't want to have to repeat himself. That's what I mean. Like, and so he made this tape so he could just play it and just go prepare what he was going to do whilst the tape was playing. The arrogance. Yeah. The arrogance. Like, you can even hear it in his voice. Like. Yeah. That is is beyond chilling. I've never heard anything like that. That sounds also like, you know, like sore. Yeah. Uh, this is it. It's, it is a thing of nightmares. It's this thing that you would see in some horrific horror film. I found it really uncomfortable when I was looking into this and almost to the point where I didn't know if I wanted to actually record this episode because of how bad I felt for every single victim and just how this even came to happen because just, it's just, I cannot even imagine the sheer terror yeah the anger the pain yeah God, this is a bad one it is i told you i know i know you i know but like we've heard some we've had some really horrific things yeah over the last two series we have this is fucking wild this is this is next level this is I think also because when it is sexual violence, I know all violence is terrible, but I think especially like sexual violence towards women as a as, female, yeah, it definitely feels a lot more feels a bit more personal. Yeah, like, yeah, like exactly, you, we can relate to this in a in a whole different way because like it's a sad reality that we live in. But I feel like every woman at some point, hopefully not too regularly, but every woman at some point fears exactly this. Yeah, just to know that it happens and it's still a viable fear, isn't it? So since becoming a mum, my anxiety like has gone through the roof. Mm -hmm. But like, because I am now the mother to a daughter. Yeah. My fear of this kind of situation or this kind of violence, mm. like sexual violence, has gone up so much because I just am so frightened of the fact that it's possible that I no longer care for my own safety. I mean, yeah. obviously I do. I want to be safe and stay alive for her. But if there was ever a situation, I'm so paranoid about locking doors and shit mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Like, because... I don't want anyone to burst in and steal her for those purposes or like do that to me in front of her. Yeah. Stuff like this, I feel like hits a little bit differently now. Definitely. So he would explain what he was going to do with them. Sometimes he would take his victims into his house, but he would tie them up in a position on their front and put the ceremony on them and encourage his dogs to also Oh my God. He had like male German shepherds and he would also encourage them to. And he also in the tape describes what the, would happen if he did that to them as well and what's happening with the dog, however victims have reacted to it. It was just fucked, completely fucked. So there's just all sorts of wrong going on. Oh my God. And his daughter's just decided to be a part of that. Yeah. So after he'd kept his victims for days, perhaps weeks or even months... He would wash them down. He would clear any evidence or DNA from their bodies, give them the clothes that they've arrived in, and then he would give them a concoction of drugs so strong that they would forget about the experience. 
and he would just sort of like just dump them wherever and they would just return to their lives with no recollection of where they had been, why their bodies hurt all over, why they had like blood on them, completely disorientated. And they would just have to go back to their families and be like, I don't know where I've been. How? You have to be really certain of your actions mm-hmm. to be like, well, they're not going to remember us, so I'm just going to set them free. Yeah. It's almost like a little extra victory, like yeah. a little sadistic victory. I've done all of that to them and they're just walking around not knowing the power that yeah. he must feel that he is wielding is just baffling. Yeah. That's so shocking. Yeah, it is it's so arrogant. Like you have to be so sure in yourself. And also he must have got to a point where he is certain that this cocktail of drugs or whatever he's using mm. is going to work. So yeah. there would have been a period of time where he's had to test that out. Yeah. On earlier victims. Yeah. And I guess if it didn't work, then he would murder them. Yeah. But you've got to also think that he was interested in this shit from a very early age. This was way before God. any sort of like forensic science. Yeah. And it's mad to think how much he's already got away with. So we don't know how long he's been testing this sort of method mm-hmm. for. No. That's just mad to me that he just lets them go. Yeah. Also, it's odd because generally when you hear stories of like Leonard Lake and Charles Ng, Mm. it was the Mm -hmm. control over holding the women and then Mm. killing them on their own terms, Mm. getting rid of their families, etc. Yeah. But with this, it almost is the opposite because like he's controlling the environment he's letting them go into, like, you know, by ensuring their brains are addled and stuff. But once they're gone, that control is gone. Yeah. That just feels well, a bit it, odd to me. It always feels unfinished. He just saw women as his sex slaves, as toys, as animals, essentially, for him to just experiment and do what he wanted with, get his joy out of that, his pleasure, get his kicks. Then along comes Roy Yancey. So Roy, as a teenager, was part of satanic cults, causing havoc and disruption, with a lot of crime actually being linked to a, a man called David. I wonder who that could have been. This was back when he was a teenage boy. So he's been part of the scene for a while, I'd say David was. But yeah, Roy was a bit of a bad boy, but he cleaned up his act for a while. But then he met Jesse and was pulled back into the darkness. Oh. Yeah. Roy's ex-girlfriend was called Marie Parker. It's a bit confusing because it's two Parkers, but he had an ex-girlfriend called Marie Parker who was homeless at the time. And she came to him and Jesse trying to score some drugs, which resulted in her being held at knife point and taken into the toy box. David and Jesse passed Roy a rope and told him, you know what to do. And he strangled her to death and they disposed of the body. Both Jesse and Roy then fled to Texas to stay with a friend for a year to wait for the disappearance to blow over. So Roy was now an accomplice in this whole picture. They just disappeared for a year. Yeah. Not suspicious. No, I know. That's what I was thinking. Okay. So they then return back to Butte. Soon after their return, they meet a woman called Cindy Hendy. Cindy moved to the area, also running away from the law. So she had several fraud and drug-related crimes on her back. She's running away from Washington. So she moved all the way down to New Mexico. And they actually met through the party scene and they soon became very close. And by close, I mean they formed a love triangle. Roy, Cindy and Jesse. Oh, a thruple. Yeah. Soon, David joined the triangle. No. Yes. No. So 
Cindy, Roy, David and his daughter Jessie all had sexual relations with each other. Yuck. That's a sexual square. Yeah. An incestuous sexual square. Yeah. Cindy and Dave, however, became closer and then exclusive. And the closer they got, the more he let her in to his dark world, revealing more about himself and his ways. Cindy had to leave town for a week to go to a wedding. And as Dave couldn't handle the thought of not having her when he wanted, and with her having an insatiable need to please him, he decided to reveal what he was really about. So he planned to kidnap and create a sex slave to satisfy his needs while she was away. He took Cindy into the toy box and informed her on everything that he does. And he gave her a meticulous set of instructions as to how to perform his methods of torture and in what order. And I saw actual like photo. It's all typed out. Number one, tie this down. Number two, really detailed on what he would do to each of his victims. Like Like a recipe. Yeah, inject, clamp this on the nipples. He refers them as sexual organs, which I just also find really repulsive because it's sort of... Very clinical. It sounds very clinical. And it was. It's very clinical, really long set of instructions. He showed it to her, played with the tape. Oh, my God. And she's just fine with it. Yeah, because she's just... She loves him. She's she's the masochist. Yeah. Good God. So Cindy is now his accomplice and it is assumed that now they are just doing all these awful things together. She's helping him because she's devoted to him and because there is limited evidence as to what exactly he was doing to these people because no one came forward because they didn't know what happened to them. There's no trail here. You can't pinpoint these crimes onto individuals which makes it difficult to get a real idea of... It's so mad. How many people this was happening to. No tangible victim, no tangible crime. Exactly. There's hundreds of victims, well, possibly hundreds, possibly thousands, who knows? Yeah. Number of victims, but they can't remember what happened to them, so they can't. It's so awful. It just, the more you think about it, the more awful it gets. Yeah. So we shoot forward in time. It's now March 1999 in the city of Albuquerque. David's driving and he takes a fake police badge and he pulls up to 20-year-old Cynthia Vigil, a sex worker, and she's walking the streets and he tries to arrest her for solicitation. So she tries to make a run for it, but he catches her and he puts her in the back. She is now his next victim, chained up in the toy box. She quotes, The way he talked, I didn't feel like I was his first victim. She recalled... It was like he knew what he was doing. He told me I was never going to see my family again. He told me he would kill me like the others. Three excruciating days passed and with Cynthia chained to a bed, David out at work and Cindy in the kitchen preparing food, Cynthia notices a set of keys just out of arm's reach. Oh my God, okay. She miraculously manages to unlock herself and dial 911 on the phone. Cindy soon notices and rushes through and they start having a fight. And I'm talking punching, scratching, everything, because Cynthia is now fighting for her life, right? Oh, yeah. So she picks up an ice pick. She just sees something on the side and she stabs Cindy in the head, which leaves a massive gash, and she makes a run for it. Fucking good on her. So she's still in chains. She's still chained with a metal collar around her neck and she's naked and she runs to a nearby trailer. She bursts in crying and pleading for her life. 
She's naked. She's covered in blood. She don't know what the fuck is going on. And the police are called and also managed to locate her previous 911 call on the system, which was obviously unanswered. Well, not unanswered, but... It never got to go through. Yeah, yeah. To David's house. The police investigators are horrified by what they witnessed. They have never experienced anything like this. They managed to open the toy box and are exposed to the hell that lies within. Oh, my God. They find hundreds of tapes and are so shocked by the footage, even some of the police come out vomiting after they left the trailer. I'm not surprised. Oh, my God. This is quite sad. There's a 36-year-old Patty Rust, who is an investigator, was given the task of spending the next few days drawing and documenting everything that she found. Fuck. After five days, she was told to get rest, so went home to Texas, where that night, she took her own life. Oh my God, because of the things that she'd seen. She was so traumatised by it. Another victim. Yeah. Another victim. (sighs) The investigation was long. It was troubling. He claimed that all of the victims gave consent to the acts, regardless of the evidence that showed that, you know, they were in pain. And it was non-consensual. Yes, yes, yes. yes. It was quite obviously non-consensual. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Also, interestingly, there were a couple of cases where a woman called... Angelica Montano came forward previously to report him. He'd invited her to the house to pick up some cake mix. After being raped and tortured, she was then released on the highway and she was picked up by an off-duty law enforcer and she told him what happened and he didn't believe her and he just left her at a bus stop. What the fuck? Yeah. Jesus. I know. And another witness who obviously then ended up being involved... Kelly Garrett, she was actually identified via a tattoo in one of the videos. So she had been abducted, tortured and raped three years prior and she had been dropped at her family home to which they thought she was on a drug binge for like three days and discarded her. She ended up moving to Colorado. So he ruined her life. He ruined her life. And she couldn't remember why. She couldn't remember why, but you know, she had depression. She was suffering from trauma. She didn't know why. But they then linked it through the video evidence that it was her. So bits and pieces were coming together, but there wasn't enough. So we only have three identifiable victims at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah. So so David was tried separately for crimes against identifiable victims, which were Cynthia Vigil, Angelica Montano and Kelly Garrett. And a week into the trial for Cynthia... David accepted a plea bargain, which led him being sentenced to 224 years in prison for numerous offences of the abduction and sexual torture of three women. Great. Yeah. I mean, good. 224 years. It's a fairly long time. It is. It's difficult. Once again, it can't be specific crimes because there's video evidence. It's, It's such a mess, isn't it? Yeah. His plea resulted in a reduced sentence for Jesse. He was charged with abduction and criminal sexual penetration and received a 30-month custodial sentence followed by five years on probation. Roy pleaded guilty in 1997 for the murder of 22-year-old Marie Parker, his ex. Because Parker's body was never found, there was no forensic evidence 
to tie up Dave to the crime. So Roy was only charged for her murder. Oh, not Jesse and yeah. them as well. Yeah. Right, okay. Roy was also charged with kidnapping, two counts of conspiracy to commit a crime and tampering with evidence. And he had a sentence of 30 years. In 2010, he was paroled after serving 11 years in prison. Roy was charged with kidnapping, two counts of conspiracy to commit a crime and tampering with evidence. And he was sentenced to 30 years. And Cindy testified against David and received a sentence of 36 years for her role in the crimes. She was actually released on July 15th, 2019, after serving the two years of a parole in prison, which is mad. So she hasn't served her full sentence? No. On May 28th, 2002, David was transported to the Lee County Correctional Facility in Hobbs, New Mexico, to be questioned by state police. But he died of a heart attack at the age of 62. He served less than one day of his formal sentence. Oh, my God. You just can't write that, can you? No. That seems like such a cop-out. I know he died, but... Yeah. At least he got convicted. He got charged. He lived long enough to get formally charged. Yeah. And to know that he was never going to see freedom again. But, but this but is it justice? No, I don't think so. I think I feel like it's almost like he got his own way out. Do you know what I mean? Like you ain't going to take me down. Yeah, I no, mean I'm not going to be punished by you. I'm yeah, it's I on guess my you, terms. You can't have a heart attack on purpose. No, I know. But can you? No, I know. But what did I'm, he? What I'm saying is like they didn't put him down. He sort of died himself. Yeah, like, I just feel yeah. like it's a bit of a cheat. But yeah, that was that. It was a very, it's quite a difficult one in terms of the sentencing because like we said, there's no physical evidence. There's no bodies to be found. So they can't really pinpoint a crime on him. I hope that the three victims, like identifiable victims, have found some peace yeah. in that conviction because I just cannot even imagine having to live with all of that and having to experience all of that, the strength that it must take to just continue. I would just think about how many women out there that are possibly just suffering horrifically from well, PTSD. Well, yeah, and not and knowing not, why. Not, yeah. And just the, the insurmount, like the number, the unknown number of victims who may still be alive, the ones that didn't make it. Yeah. It's unreal to think about. It's just, yeah. this has been absolutely shocking and wild. And I cannot even start to unpick how I feel for all these women. It's horrible. Yeah, that's a lot. That was a lot. And that was David Ray Parker, the toy box killer. That was a suggestion that came through via Instagram. I apologise, I can't find the username that sent that through. But um, thank you for your suggestions. And also, not thank you, because that was terrible. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. But also horrific. I'm probably, that's going to stay with me for a very long time. Next time, Endeavours on the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're going to be looking at the Malaysian pop singer slash murderer, Mona Fandy. Whoa. Subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you never miss an episode of Devils in the Dark. And don't forget you can find us on Instagram at Devils in the Dark. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please do check out the description for lots of helpful resources. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you next week. Yeah.